Well, if today were your last day on earth, what would you leave behind? I'm not talking about the stuff that you might mention in a will. Rather, I'm talking about what would your legacy be? What would your legacy be? You know, one of the ways to leave a legacy is by impacting the lives of others. When we impact and touch the life of another person, uh, that person will be a message to a time we may never see. The way that we impact and touch and change somebody's lives can change uh, generations well beyond our time left here on earth. And as we turn in our Bible today to 1 Kings chapter 19, what we're going to see is this is one of the things that happened through the life of Elijah. If you were here last week, you'll recall as we were looking at Elijah, we saw that he was, he was worn out and he wanted, to let, he wanted God to let him die. But instead of letting him die, what God did was he restored him. He, he, he returned him to service. And one of the things, one of the, the places of service that God had for Elijah was to raise up the one who would replace him. God told him in 1 Kings 19.16, And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of abel Meholosh, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Now, when we read that God told Elijah to anoint Elisha, it's not that God was saying, look, I'm done with you. You're yesterday's news. In fact, what he was doing should have been an encouragement to Elijah because what he was saying is the work that you have been doing is not in vain. There is a person who will pick up where you are leaving off. There is a person who will carry on the work that you've been doing. So it's not been done in vain. As we come to 1 Kings 19, 19-21, it tells us, So he departed from there, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with twelve pair of oxen before him. And he was with the twelfth. And Elijah passed over to him, and he threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen, and he ran after Elijah. And he said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him, and he took the pair of oxen, and he sacrificed them. He boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen, and he gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. Now, as we meet this man, Elisha, for the first time, we see a couple of things about him. One, we see that he's a farmer. His family's in the the farming business. And and it's really quite an operation because what we read is uh, there were 12 yoke of oxen. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but maybe this picture will help you understand it. In our day, what it would say is there were a fleet of uh, John Deere combines. There were tractors in the field showing that this was quite an operation. There was a lot of land. There was a lot of resources, uh, which meant that one day Elisha would have quite an inheritance. This is a guy who was in a pretty wealthy family. He would have been set for life. But suddenly that comfortable future is turned on its head. Because Elijah comes and walks up and he throws his mantle on him. Now, the mantle here isn't like what you have over your fireplace. He doesn't whack him with a board. Uh, A mantle would have been something like you see in this picture. Uh, it, It was a robe. It was a hood. It was some kind of stole or something that was placed over a person. Now, in this case... You see the investigators in a very nice setting. It's a, it's a pretty air-conditioned uh, thing. There's a lot of pomp and circumstance. But as we read the text here, it's not like what you see there because what it says is Elisha is out plowing in the field behind a yoke of oxen. There's dust. He's hot. He's sweaty. Um, you know, he's, he's going along working.
talking. And suddenly Elijah comes walking up. And rather than having this nice investiture, it says he threw his mantle on him. So you can picture a towel hitting him in the face, kind of covering his head. He's, what, what just happened, right? And, and as this happens, Elijah walks away without saying a word to him. Now, Elisha knows exactly what happened because the mantle was the sign of the office. It was the passing of the baton. It was the way of saying, you're the successor. You're the person who is going to pick up and be the primary prophet in all of Israel. Now, remember, he's a farmer. And, and, and as he's there, he's out in the field. The equipment is there. He's, he, he's, he's on the tractor. And as this happens, what he does is he turns off the tractor. He jumps down. He runs after Elijah. He understands exactly what's happening. He doesn't say, here, this is yours. Uh, you made a mistake. What he says is, can I go and say goodbye? As you read the New Testament, you see there were a couple of times that people were called to follow Jesus. And uh, in Luke chapter 9, we have two instances where as Jesus called somebody to follow him, one says in Luke 9:59, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, it seems like there's a similar situation. Elisha has just been called, and he says, well, let me go say goodbye, but I want you to see there's something totally different happening. Because when Jesus calls the first guy and he says, let me go bury my father, it's not that Christ is callous. It's not that the guy is saying, dear old dad has just died. The funeral's at noon. I I want to attend and say goodbye to my dad. You see, what it was happening there is his father's living. He's fine. He's healthy. And the guy was saying, look, uh, Jesus, I want to serve you, but I'm a little worried about uh, how I'm going to be taken care of. And so let my dad die. Let me collect my inheritance. And one day when I'm financially set and secure, then, then I'll come and follow you. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. The things of the world are not what you need to worry about. God will take care of you. If you follow me, I'll give you what you need. Now, the second guy makes a request that's similar to the one. He says, Lord, I'll follow you, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And again, we know Jesus uses an agricultural idiom there where he says no farmer who when he's plowing, the picture in that day, they didn't have all this modern GPS stuff that that programs tractors to plow a straight furrow in a field. What they would do is they would look off far in the distance. They'd see a tree, a landmark, a fence post. And and the farmer, as he's plowing the oxen, would look ahead. And what Jesus is saying is no one is going to be looking back because as you're looking back, that furrow, that row isn't going to be straight. And he says, you you don't focus on what's behind you, what you're leaving. Instead, you look ahead to what is coming, what God has called you to. So in that case, those were two people who were not yet ready to fully follow the Lord. But as we look at Elisha's situation... When he asks Elijah for permission, Elijah says, go, go back again. Now we read the words, he says, for what have I done to you? And this is also an idiom of the day. It was a saying that meant no one is stopping you. See, he wasn't saying, oh, forget it, it was a mistake. Why did I even talk to you? Just get out of here. What he was saying is, you have permission, go say goodbye. 
Go let everybody know that there's no turning back, that you're leaving. And we see that Elijah was moving fully forward to follow God because it tells us when he went back, it wasn't to collect his riches. Rather, he destroys what he has. He kills the cows. He burns the plow. On April 22nd in 1519, there was a Spanish explorer named uh, Hernan Cortez. And he sailed into the harbor of Veracruz, Mexico, and he landed an army of 600 men. Cortez unloads this, this army, the men, the supplies, the cannons. And over the next two years... As big as his army seemed, he was vastly outnumbered. Remember, the the Aztec Empire was there in Mexico, uh, and yet he was able to defeat Montezuma and all the warriors of the Aztec Empire. And Cortez eventually conquered all of that area in Mexico. Now, how was this incredible feat accomplished? Especially when you look back and remember there were two prior expeditions that had failed to even uh, secure a portion of land and put one colony in place, and yet Cortez wiped out the whole opposition. Well, when Cortez landed, he knew that he and his men faced incredible odds. He knew that there would be danger and difficulty ahead, and he knew that his men would be tempted to want to go back, to retreat to return to the safety of Spain. And so after unloading all the equipment and men, what he did was he ordered that the entire fleet of 11 ships would be set on fire and burned and sink there in the harbor. And so as his army stood on the shore and they watched the boats that they had come over on burning and sinking, they knew there was no turning back. There was only one way, and that way was forward. They knew that there would be uh, nothing they could do except go forward, conquer, or die. And as Elijah goes back here, he's burning his boats. What he's doing is he's going back and he says, I'm going to remove the option of returning to my old way of life. You see, he didn't go and park the tractor in the shed and say, well, if this doesn't work out, I can always come back and be a farmer. What he does is he he kills the cows and burns the plow. He says, "Uh, my, my old way of making a living is gone. The worldly resources I have are are gone. And as he gets rid of the tools of his past, his focus is fully on following God. As you look at your life this morning, is there anyone here who needs to burn some boats? Now, I didn't say burn bridges. Don't show up at your work on Monday morning, trash the place, and say, I'm out of here. Uh, But what I said is, is there something that is holding you back? Is there something in your life? that, as you say, God, I'm going to turn from that sin, do you continue to leave the option open? Is there something in your, your marriage where things are, are struggling and you're saying, well, there's, there's always the ejection button called divorce? Or are you saying there's no turning back? There's only one option to fix things, to go forward. Is God calling you to go forward in some area? Now, he's not calling every one of you here to be missionaries and pastors, people to go into full-time vocational ministry. The place he has you in your workplace, where you serve in your school, in, in the military, those are places of ministry. But as you think about where you are, have, have you left option B open? Is there the potential to turn back, or is it time to kill the cows and burn the plow in your own life? As Elijah holds his bonfire and barbecue, verse 21 tells us he becomes Elijah's servant. I want you to remember what he's just been told. Elisha has just been told, you're the guy. You're the successor. 
You're the heir apparent. You're the one. And, and it would have been very easy for Elisha at that moment to say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm next in line. It's time for me to get the corner office. Let's get the old guy out of the way. Let's get this party started. Let's, let's move on to the next chapter. But instead, he humbles himself and he recognizes there are things I don't yet know. There are things I need to learn. And he places himself as an apprentice, as a servant under Elijah. The mark of true humility is that we we recognize we don't yet know all that we need to know. And we need to be willing to, to humble ourselves sometimes and ask. Or sometimes just to wait. We may feel we're ready. But God wants us to wait. He wants us to continue to grow and develop. Sometimes pride causes us to seek the spotlight faster. Other times someone may feel, well, I need that place of authority so I can have an impact. Friends, I want to let you know that while having a place of authority can give you an opportunity to be a leader, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be a leader. Because every one of us already is in a place of leadership. Every single person sitting here today is already in a place of impact and influence. You don't need to worry about your platform or whether you're going to even have one because you already do. You already have a platform. You already have a place of impact. You already have the ability to impact those around you. I want you to stop and think about something for a moment. Do you realize that no one else stands precisely where you do? No one else is in precisely the same situation as you do. And because of that, no one else has the same influence that you do. You've been entrusted with a unique set of circumstances, relationships, and opportunities that no one else has been given. And as God has placed you there, he wants you to leverage those opportunities, those places that he has for you to lead somebody to the Lord, to impact your family, to, to, to be a man or a woman, a boy or a girl who is changing the culture in the places that he already has you. You know, there were countless opportunities this last week to do that at VBS. You heard how wonderful the week was. There were over 500 kids. There were over 300 volunteers that were here. And as exciting as it was to see all that God was doing, they told you there were 15 kids who accepted the Lord. There were actually 17 people that I'm aware of. Two of them, I had opportunities to lead to the Lord out in the hall. One of them was one of the volunteers who was working here. So... You look at what was happening, but as you think in terms of all that was going on, as exciting as it was for those new lives in Christ and to see uh, what God did to bring some to a, a saving knowledge of him, I was just as excited about all the other mentoring moments that were taking place all around the property. Um, there, there were many memorable moments. One of those uh, just is highlighted on this slide. You know, one of the strengths of Wayside Chapel is, is the diversity of age and stage of life. And just here on this one picture, this is the pre-prayer. Before the leaders would come in here to uh, lead these kids, they would have a 30-minute time in the morning where they would worship and pray and prepare themselves. And here you just see one, one of the, the shots of worship that was taking place, and you notice the different stages of life. And it was this life-on-life ministry that was happening as young and old came together and they learned from each other and they served side by side and they worshiped together and there was an iron sharpening iron that was taking place. Another uh, shot is something you see. You'll recognize it's right where you are if you're here at the 410 campus. It's right here in the sanctuary. 
And this, again, is before the large group assembly time. And what you see there are two teams that were part of uh, the sessions in the morning and in the closing for the last five days. And, and right here on the platform, uh, you see people in dark-colored shirts. Those were the tech team. And as you look, again, you see a diversity. You see one of our staff people there, John Jurdy. You see one of our missionaries, Darren Dunn, who's, who's back from Thailand, who had actually been one of our uh, tech guys when he was here at Wayside before he was called to the mission field. And then you see the students around. And there was mentoring. There was training that was going on. And it allowed them to allow us to have a successful VBS but I want you to think about what some of these, these kids were doing. They were entrusted with literally hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment. That makes you shudder, doesn't it? <laughs> when you think about it, I mean, these are kids that you can't trust to clean their own room at home, and they were running uh, boards worth hundreds of thousands of dollars in sound and lighting and various things. And you know what was happening is they were being mentored, they were being trained, and it wasn't just for VBS. Some of these are people who will step in Sunday after Sunday now and serve in the tech ministry as services take place. Some of these are kids who are learning life skills that are transferable. They learn teamwork. They learned production. They learned how to follow scripts. They learned how to, how to run the technical aspects of things that were happening. And then I want you to notice the, the kids in those brighter shirts that are sitting on the floor. Those are fifth and sixth graders. You saw them up here leading you this morning. They were in here leading over 800 people in worship. Uh, think about the times you're called to stand up at work and give a presentation to three or four coworkers and how you're shaking in your shoes. These are kids that, again, are learning transferable life skills. Uh, they're going to be able to stand up in public settings in their school, in their workplaces, and in various places and, and, and have that confidence and ability that they, they learned here. And they also learned how to have a deeper love for the Lord. And, and it's humbling to watch these kids worship and to, to see how they do. So these are some of the things that were taking place last week at VBS and why I love uh, things like this at Wayside Chapel. These are examples of what God is doing. These are examples of how people who said, I came here and, yeah, we had a fun week, and they may not recognize all that they were doing and impacting and changing lives for eternity. That's what I'm talking about, about where you already have platforms everywhere that you are. If you were here last week, you'll recall that I said sometimes we, we want to see God show up in the spectacular, the fire, the earthquake, and the things, and we miss what he's doing because we don't hear him in the whispers, those gentle whispers in the wind. And wherever God has you, he has you in places of impact and mentoring and the ability to touch and change lives. But you may miss it because you say, well, it's not spectacular. I don't have this large platform. And it's not always in a big venue where, where this is happening. One, one of the other stories from last week is I had a mom uh, come back and she said, she said, my 12-year-old son was excited and he said he was a leader. And she said, he, he's just walking around as a crew guide with the kids. Aren't there adults? I said, well, there are adults everywhere. But I said, your son is right. He is a leader. Because here's a 12-year-old young man who is having to look at a schedule. And, and no, I need to get my group from here to there. He has younger, littler kids who are watching him and following him and see him as this great, you know, wow, you're a big kid and you're a leader. And I said, he is a leader. He's learning what it means to be responsible and do these things. Again, sometimes we sell other people short. 
Sometimes we sell ourselves short and say, God has not given me a platform, a place to change and impact lives. Friends, you don't have to wait for a big promotion to have a place of impact because God has already given you a platform. And you have to ask yourself, are you, are you impacting the lives of others around you? The Bible says when we are faithful in the little things, God will entrust us with more. And as we look at Elisha, he was faithful to serve his master. And in time, he receives that promotion to be the primary prophet in all of Israel. Now, even though he was anointed to that position in 1 Kings chapter 19, the actual passing of the mantle doesn't take place until 2 Kings chapter 2. You can turn over a few pages in your Bible to the next book, 2 Kings chapter 2. Now, between 1 Kings 19 and 2 Kings 2, there's not a clear timeline given. But as I said, part of what he was learning as he walked around with Elijah day in and day out was how to lead, how to speak for the Lord. And some of the chapters we've passed over is in 1 Kings 21, uh, Ahab, remember him, wicked King Ahab? He, he continues to be who he was, and he, he wanted the vineyard of a guy named Naboth, and, and Naboth ends up getting murdered and his vineyard stolen so the king could have it. And, and Elijah shows up and confronts the king. And, and Elisha would have learned, well, this is how you speak for the Lord in those situations. Uh, later in 2 Kings chapter 1, Elijah chastises Ahab's son who came to the throne for consulting the Philistine idols rather than from following the true God. So as Elisha is with his master, his spiritual father, he's learning things, watching day in and day out. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 6, Fathers, today is Father's Day, and it says as men what we're to do is to teach our children when we rise up, when we walk in the way. It's, it's not saying, you know, it, it only happens when you have, okay, it's family devotion time. It's, it's the day-to-day stuff. It's when you're driving carpool with your kids. It's when you're sitting uh, in the living room and those conversations come up. And so this is what's happening. Elisha is being trained as he watches day-in and day-out activities. As you think about your life, what could someone learn if they hung around you? Now, not the bad habits. Think for a moment about the positive things, right? Would it be how to pray when they're facing a problem? Could it be that they would learn what a biblical work ethic really looks like? Could it be that they would learn how to lead somebody to the Lord? I told you I had opportunities out in the hallway, and and one of those, we sat in the lounge area just out here with one of our middle school uh, volunteers, and her friend was sitting right there with her. And these two young girls, as I talked to them, one was already a believer who was recently baptized, and she watched me walk through the gospel with her friend and her friend come to Christ. She was learning as she watched what was happening. If people were with you day in and day out, what would they learn from you? There are countless ways every day to show others what it looks like to love and follow the Lord. As we look at 2 Kings chapter 2, we find that Elijah is on his final day in 2 Kings 2. The sons of the prophets know that God is going to take Elijah away that day. It's been revealed to them, but nobody knows how it's going to happen. So knowing it's his last day, Elijah wants to go around and visit several places that have been significant to him. And as he went from place to place, Elisha is right there with him. He's following him around. He he wants to be with his, his father in the faith until the very end. Not only was he loyal to Elijah, but in the Old Testament, we see examples of the blessings that were given 
by the fathers to others before they left the earth, like in Genesis chapter 49. And Elisha didn't want to miss out on the blessing of Elijah. So the two begin in Gilgal. Now, that's a great place to start because that's where it all began for the nation of Israel as they gathered in the promised land after they crossed over the Jordan River. Second Kings 2, 2 says, And Elijah said to Elijah, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now, Bethel is a name that means house of God. And this was another significant place in the history of Israel. This is the place in Genesis 12:8 where Abraham erected an altar as he left his home and as he came into the land. As God had promised, he was going to give this land to Abraham and his descendants. It was one of his descendants, Jacob, who would also later build an altar there. As he, as he saw the ladder going up into heaven and the angels ascending and descending, and he said, this is the house of God, and he, he built a, an altar there. Now, remember, sadly, there were also altars that were being built in that land to the pagan gods. This is what's been happening where Elijah had to battle uh, the, the pagan idolatry of the day. And as, as he stood there in Bethel, this place of altars, both some to the true God and some against the true God, I'm sure he thought back to Mount Carmel and how the prophets of Baal had built their altar. Remember that? As we saw, the, 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 the sacrifice was not received, but when Elijah built his altar to the true God, Yahweh, fire fell from heaven. And as he was there, he thought back, to that battle in 1 Kings chapter 18. As they're there in Bethel, 2 Kings 2, 3 through 5 says, Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha, and they said to him, Do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Be still. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourselves live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho, and the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and and said to him, Do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be still. So Elijah tries to leave his servant there, but Elisha will not leave him. He goes to Jericho. Now, Jericho is a place of war. You remember, this is as the, the nation crossed the Jordan River and came in. This was the great walled city where God had the army of the Lord march around the city, carrying the Ark of the Covenant and blowing the trumpets. And God fought for the people and the walls came crashing down. And as Elijah is there, as he's looking back over his life on earth, he lingers over those moments of war in his own life. The battle on Uh, with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, the battle with King Ahab, who at this point in the story is dead. He's been judged and he's gone. The battle that's been going on with Queen Jezebel, she's still around, but she's soon to be killed. And as he stands there, he thinks back to God and his faithfulness. As he thinks about the walls of Jericho that came crashing down, he can say, Lord, thank you for using me, Letting me be part of what has caused the collapse of apostasy in this, this nation of Israel. Second Kings 2, 6 through 7 tells us, Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. 
word is spreading among the followers of the true God. At this point, we see they're no longer hiding out in caves. They're out in the open. They're serving the Lord. There's, there's a, a growth of the true worship of the true God, and this group is there to watch. They know Elijah's leaving the earth is imminent. Now, remember, they don't know what's going to happen. They think he's going to die. And so everybody's watching. And as they're following at a distance, we see that they get left behind because Elijah comes back to the banks of the Jordan. And as he's there, as he's preparing to cross over, I'm sure he stopped and lingered and remembered about what we saw back in 1 Kings 19. Remember, it was at that point that as he's fleeing Jezebel, as he's exhausted and going into the wilderness, it it was there that he was going to cross over into the wilderness and he was worn out. And he had asked God, let me die. And as he comes to the Jordan River, he's no longer depressed and wanting to die. But he knows that his time on earth is coming to a close. Second Kings 2, 8 through 9 tells us, And Elijah took his mantle and he folded it together and he struck the waters and they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. The waters are parted like when the Ark of the Covenant stopped the river. Now it came about when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let me have a double portion of your spirit. Let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. He comes to this moment of leaving the earth. He's giving this blessing to his faithful servant and he says, What do you want me to do? And he doesn't ask for wealth. He doesn't ask for earthly power or fame. He says, I want a double portion of your spirit. Now, this isn't tied to pride. He's not saying, let me be twice as great as you were. But what he's doing is he's looking into the the law. In Deuteronomy 21.17, it said the firstborn son would receive a double portion of his father's inheritance. And Elisha is the spiritual son of Elijah. And he says, I recognize that I need God's help. I, I, I need God's presence in my life. Would you give to me a blessing that I would receive twice as much as you had? Now, as he asks this, verse 10 says, Elijah tells him, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. What he tells him is God's power is not mine to give. That's God's choice. And he says, but if God allows you to see me leave you, then that can be a sign of, uh, that God is going to grant your request. What he says is when I'm taken up, you, if you see that happen, God has given you the eyes of faith that are needed to be that kind of prophet. Friends, you, you need to realize there are things that happen in our realm, in our world that our, our, our physical retinas can't see. But our spiritual eyes of faith can see and understand that God is at work doing things that others who don't know him don't understand. 2 Corinthians 4.18 tells us, We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so it happens. 2 Kings 2.11-12 tells us, Then it came about as they were going along and talking, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. And then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces. 
Horses and chariots were the M1 battle tanks of the day. These were the, the stealth fighters of the day. They were the, 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 the mightiest weapon of war. And it may be that God manifests himself in this way to show Elisha that, that I am, I'm going to be with you and my power and protection is going to be with you as well. And as his spiritual father, his mentor and friend are taken from him, uh, you see that he responds by ripping his clothes. Ripping his clothes was a sign of mourning and grief. As, as, as his friend is gone, he, he's, he's lost him and, and, and he's grieving. He's mourning the loss of his friend. But we see that he doesn't stay and wallow in his grief because he knows now it's his time to step up and take Elijah's place. So verses 13 through 14 tell us he also took up the mantle of Elijah as it fell from him. And he returned and he stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and he struck the waters and said, Where is the, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And as he struck the water, they were divided here and there and Elijah crossed, Elisha crossed over. Friends, when the work of one is done, it means that it's the beginning of the work of another. When the work of one is done, it means it's the beginning of the work of another. And so as this happens at this moment, as Elijah is gone, Elisha says, it's my turn to step into the gap. And as he begins his ministry, as you keep reading on when you get home tonight and, and see the ministry of Elisha, what you'll find is God indeed granted his request. He gave him a double portion. Elisha did more miracles than Elijah did. And so he was a man who was used by God. As, as he asks this question, where is the Lord, the God of, of Elijah? The answer is that God is where he's always been. It's on his throne in heaven and in the hearts of men and women who love and follow him. God is present with all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are a temple of the Lord and that the Spirit of God dwells within you? If you're wondering where is the God of the Old Testament, where is the God who manifests his power in all these ways, friends, he's right there with you. Jesus, as he left the earth and he gave the great commission, said, Lo, I am with you all, was even to the end of the age. He told the disciples, I have to leave so the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, can come. And he resides, he's resident within us. Where is the God of Elijah? He's in the hearts and minds of the people of God who love him. And what it means is God has given all of us who are his the privilege of being a part of what he's doing. He's not limited to one place or to one person to do his work. He's passed the mantle to each and every one of us here this morning. He's given us a ministry, whether it's here at Wayside as we serve on a Sunday or, or throughout the week, or it's where we are in our workplaces, our schools, our military bases, as we travel on vacation during the summer. Everywhere that we go is a platform and an opportunity to do the work of the Lord. I want to close in prayer. I want you to think about your life this morning. I want you to think about the platforms that God has already given to you. And, and make your prayer like Elisha's. Say, Lord, will you give me a double portion of your spirit? Will you help me to be one who impacts the culture and the places that you've put me in this day? Let's go to the Lord and pray. Lord God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your great love for us. Love that was demonstrated in that while we were yet sinners, you, Jesus, died for us. We thank you, Father, that that message of hope and redemption and, and change of life, 
as we received the gift of eternal life, was heard this week by hundreds and hundreds of kids and volunteers. And we thank you, Lord, that 15 of those kids in these sessions in here responded. We thank you, Lord, for those times out in the hallways. And, Father, we know there are still conversations to come in cars and around dinner tables as kids continue to contemplate what has been said and parents and friends will be able to help them understand the life-changing truth of the gospel. May you continue to bring a harvest from all that was heard this week in those lives. Father God, we thank you for your ongoing work at Wayside, for the privilege we have uh, to do your work, not just on Sundays, but all throughout the week and all throughout the city as we spread out and go into these places of influence that you've given us, our homes and our workplaces and our schools and as we encounter strangers on the street. Father, would you help us to be courageous, to pick up the mantle and to recognize you've entrusted your ministry to each of us and Father, would we be willing to be your messengers of grace and good news? Father, on this day where we remember fathers and honor them for their sacrifices, Father, for the men who are here who have been given those places, not just as physical daddies, but also as men who can be mentors and impact others, would we be faithful to follow Deuteronomy 6 and speak of you all throughout our days with our kids and those that we come in contact with? Father, I pray that for the moms and grandparents as well, for those who are in places of teaching and influence with young lives and and middle-aged people and young moms who are looking around to some of the older saints and saying, "What what can I do in this situation? Would we be like Elijah? And would we pass the mantle not only of faith but of, of understanding and encouragement? So, Father, we thank you for all that you did this past week at Wayside. We thank you for what you're going to continue to do in the weeks ahead. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being a part of your work and ministry. Would you help us, Lord, as we leave here today to be your messengers of grace as we go and share the good news in our city and beyond. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our prayer leaders here at the front, if there's something we can encourage or walk with you through, we'd love to do that. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.